Good evening. I want to thank you all for coming out this evening to attend this program, especially since it's so very, very cold out there. And we all have an assortment of, as you hear from my voice, afflictions from the weather. For anyone, and that probably means most of us who have young people in our lives, not necessarily relatives or, or family, but neighbors, associates, and so on. This book is an invaluable and insightful resource. The author, <clears throat> excuse me, George E. Leary, Jr., provides mental health services to addicts and those living with HIV-AIDS. He established and operated two recovery houses in Baltimore and served for nine years on a mobile crisis intervention team. What makes this guide, and as you see, there will be books available for sale, what makes this guide for parents particularly relevant is not just that Mr. Leary has the credentials and professional experience as a longtime social worker, but his personal heart-wrenching experience when his own son became an addict. Now, this, this is a very interesting book. You can read it cover to cover, which is highly recommended, or you can go to a particular section and read through. It is well-organized with impressive detail, and it provides practical advice and clear, it's clearly written, to educate parents and other interested parties. As an example, the information is placed in a concise format. The three C's I found very interesting. This is a book of hope, emphasizing not to be afraid to reach out because you are not alone. Please welcome Mr. Leary. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate everybody coming out in this cold evening. It is appreciated. <laughs> I saw the temperature. I said, I don't think anybody's coming tonight. <laughs> um, and my friends from Columbia, I appreciate you coming out too. Okay, um, I want to make this interactive as much as possible. So as we go along, um, if anybody got a question, just raise the hand. Um, I'm not sure where to begin, but I think we need to start talking about how prevalent drugs are in this youth culture that we have. Um, the, I'm going down very briefly the primary drugs that our adolescents and you know, well, I'm talking ages 12 to 25, but most of the focus will be on middle and high school years. Um, alcohol is the most prominent drug that is uh, used and abused. Um, last year. America, uh, National Institute of Drug Abuse just put out a survey from last year. And they found that 63% of high school seniors were drinking. 
of those, 43% were getting drunk. And most scary thing is almost 24% were binge drinking. Now, if you're not aware of what binge drinking is, it is five or more drinks at a particular occasion, just one occasion. So we're just chugging them down. Um, seniors, uh, two weeks after the, within two weeks after they were surveyed or before they were surveyed, 23, almost 24% reported binge drinking. So we do have a problem. Um, actually, though, the amount of alcohol consumed by our youth has gone down dramatically in the past since they started the uh, survey some 25 years ago. Um, in 92, we had 76% of seniors drinking. Now it's down to 63%. That's pretty good. We're getting there. Um the next drug that, and stop me please if you have any questions. The next drug that we need to take a look at is marijuana. Because marijuana is a drug that our kids use. The thing with marijuana is, unlike alcohol, which is decreasing in use, marijuana is increasing in use and rather dramatically because youth do not see it as a harmful drug. And if you're a parent and you want to talk to your kid about marijuana uh, and you really want to discourage them, there are enough facts that you can use to... Uh, present to them, but it takes a little research. And one of the things in the book, because this is a handbook for parents, is the fact that um, we have a fairly extensive section on the dangers of marijuana and the harmful effects of marijuana. Uh, use. Seniors within last year, 36% were using marijuana. Um, the effects of marijuana, I just want to go over this fairly quickly. Um, memory, you fail to remember things you just learned. Judgment, you're not thinking clearly, those that use marijuana. And we're not talking about heavy use of marijuana either, although that makes it worse. Driving a motor vehicle, it, it impairs your reaction time, judgment time. Uh, socially impairs your ability to do complex tasks, thereby compromising your ability to engage in athletics uh, and other life activities. Um, the third drug that's most common, this is for the 10th and 12th graders, uh, and that's synthetic marijuana or Spice K2. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. Anybody ever heard of that here? Well, almost oh, a little over 11% of our seniors have heard of it because they use it on a regular basis. Um, what it is, it's a herbal mixture um, that's advertised as safe, natural, and they market it as incense. And these herbs are sprayed with chemicals that mimic the high that marijuana offers, but... And the selling point for our kids is unlike the marijuana, 
there's an active psychoactive ingredient in marijuana called THC. That is not in this drug, so we can't test for it. So teenagers running around, hey, you know, I can smoke tonight and go for that job interview tomorrow, or they can test me tomorrow, and I'm good because it doesn't. There's no THC in the synthetic marijuana. Uh, you can get it at gas stations, convenience stores, head shops. Um, it's illegal and then it's legal, meaning that what they did was the federal government banned five of the chemicals that they use. So these ingenious folks found five similar chemicals that weren't on the banned list, so we still have it. Um, but most of the places that you get it are uh, convenience stores. Go to, uh, not maybe a 7-Eleven, but go to some offbeat store and ask for Spice or K2. Spice? Spice or K2, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's marketed as incense. But uh, it's smoked. But anyways, this book's chock full of information that parents need to know. <laughs> um, the next drug that our kids are using with some frequency is prescription drugs. And I'm not sure if you are aware of just how it is, how much this is, but last year almost 15% of our high school seniors were using and abusing prescription drugs. Um, the most widely used prescription, abused prescription drugs are narcotics. Those pain relievers, you're talking about Percocet, Oxycontin, um, Vicodin, things like that. Um, after that comes amphetamines, two stimulants in this, Adderall and Ritalin, which are used for ADHD treatment. So teenagers go into cat medicine cabinet at home, liberate the ADHD from a brother, meds, take them to school. One of the things that we're finding, and it's scary when you think about it, is something called Skittle parties. Y'all know what Skittles are, right? That multicolored candy. Okay. Well, they are particularly with middle school now. We we down there now in that age group. They're having Skittle parties. I go if I'm a kid. I go to my medicine parents' medicine cabinet, take out some pills, put them in my pocket. I go to the party. And there's a candy dish. Everybody puts the pills in the candy dish. And then we just randomly pick the pills out and wash it down with alcohol. That's called a Skittle party. And it's growing in popularity. Now, if you're a parent, <laughs> sort of scary, isn't it? Yeah, back there. They're like what? They're like prescription pills that you would get? Yeah, yeah, you would take the prescription pills from your parents 
question? Yeah. Okay. Um, not trying to scare you, but just to let you know what's going on. Um, one of the uh, things that we have problems with at work are called benzodiazepines or benzos um, because addicts boost particularly those on methadone use it to boost the high that the, the methadone gives you a little buzz. So they use that to boost that. Xanax, Valium, they're excellent for anxiety, panic attack clients, and as a therapist, uh, psychiatrist, and I use these, but we're very discriminating in who we give them to. Um, because they have a market value on the street, and they can be abused. And we have a rule of thumb. Come in and tell me you lost your Xanax. You're not getting any more, okay? <laughs> doesn't work that way around here. Um, those of you who are parents, one of the things that happened to me was that I didn't know the signs and symptoms of what I was looking for as far as my kids were using drugs right under my nose, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was the school. I blamed them. I blamed the community, their friends. But I never thought it was drugs. The book has, in chapter 3, I call them the unlucky 13. These are 13 behavioral categories. And there's 88 sub-behaviors or behaviors that are reflective of one of those 13 categories. Um, I'm going to speed through these, give you sort of a flavor if you're a parent or... If you know somebody who's got an acting out kid, you might want to give them this. Um, number one, excessive mood swings. Addiction is a brain disease that alters how the brain operates. You, the way the brain processes information, receives it, sends it out to various parts of the body is altered which means that we're not functioning well mentally, so we can't control things. Our, our control of behavior is gone. So what do we see? Excessive mood swings, such as extreme aggressiveness, argumentativeness, unpredictability, extreme sensitivity, and often explosiveness. Um, when I was in a drug re rehab with 
the family, it was a family treatment program. Periodically, we would go to somebody's house, and there were holes in the wall. And what was that? That was the impulsive explosiveness that, so, you know, that was scars on the house. um, Parents were sleeping behind locked doors with baseball bats at the ready. Um, Another one, extreme isolation. Is if you're using drugs, it's easier to escape detection by not associating with mom and dad. So I retreat. I isolate. And once they get used to me isolating, I can go to the bathroom or the bedroom, which are two places where I can basically do drugs and safety. You're not going to barge in the kid's bedroom. You're going to knock first. If they're in the bathroom, the door is locked. Um, extreme remoteness. I don't want to be bothered with this. Under this will come things like lack of respect for family, relatives coming over. I don't want to be bothered. Uh, room family holidays, family gatherings. Uh, excessive time away from home, changing friends. Uh the old queen and sober friends, they don't want to be bothered with you now that you're using drugs. And you don't want to be bothered with them because they're not going to give you the reinforcement that you need to validate your behavior. So we create phantom friends. Uh... Who are you going to see? Oh, Johnny. Oh, what's Johnny's last name? I don't know that. He's just Johnny. Where does he live? Somewhere over the other end of town, somewhere you're not going to get any information because they have enough sense to know not to bring their space cadet friends home. Um, Deterioration in health. Drugs will deteriorate your health. Begins with skin tone. Dilated pupils, that's a good telltale sign. Increase in health complaints. Um, Disciplinary problems in school. Academic problems in school. If you're high, how can you stay focused? If you're high, you have no boundaries because the brain has been altered, so you're going to do things to get you in trouble in school. And that's not counting that you just had a hit before you went to class, so you're you're gazing out in space somewhere totally oblivious to what's going on. Uh, Preoccupation with drugs is another one. Everybody in Baltimore, Ravens fans, they're wearing purple. We show our allegiance by what we wear to whatever we are involved in. You see a kid with a marijuana emblem on their hat or alcohol symbol on their T-shirt, most likely they are using drugs. If they weren't, why would they be wearing that? Um, But see, as parents, we excuse all this away instead of recognizing it for what it may be. Uh, Phone usage is another one. 
Phone usage, when my kids were coming up, we didn't have cell phones and all that. Um, and I used to, looking back over now, my son would make phone calls that lasted 30 seconds. What he was doing, and I didn't know that at the time, he was selling drugs in the house. So the hookup was 30 seconds. You home? Yeah, you okay. That was, uh, so phone irregularities. Uh, if I'm using the phone for drugs, it's going to be short, sweet, and to the point. And you're going to hear code words, uh, slang words. remember one mother saying one time, I thought my son was uh, getting healthy. He's talking about he's going to get some special cake. She's thinking of cereal. No, Special K is a drug that you use to mix with ecstasy, to boost the high of ecstasy. It's a cat tranquilizer is what it is. Ketamine is the name of it. But they, so mom's thinking, my son's thinking of Special K. Um, Jack can't hold a job, y'all know. Longer alcoholic or addict stays out there, the harder it is to stay employed. Same with the kids. The only trouble with the kids is we don't have a history of work experience. Therefore, we don't hold a job down very long. Particularly when we're bartering the merchandise so we can get some drugs or we're doing what we need to do. Um, Dramatic changes in interest. The high school athlete. No longer is interested in sports. The girl who's in high school involved in all these clubs and activities. She's not interested. That's dumb stuff. That's kid stuff. I don't know. That's because she's got a new interest and that's getting high. Uh, the last one, and once again, remember the brain is altered by the uh, uh, use of drugs. Memory loss, speech problems, slurred speech, changes in energy, sleep patterns, and appetite. If you're on drugs, all those things will be affected. Yeah. And also, as you mentioned everything, you think of people. A lot of them are the things that they're doing anyway. So it's really hard to sort of distinguish or to, to isolate it out because, you know, teenagers, we expect them to have some of these changes. And we expect bad behavior or whatever. And we just sort of, oh, they're going to grow out of it or, you know, mm-hmm. this is temporary. So um, it's really hard to. And one of the, there's a test in here, and part of the test, I see, part of the test is you go through this, and then you grade it on the 13 categories. If you got one or two that rank high, the book says don't get too bent out of shape, because that could be normal teenage, adolescent things. But if you got more than two, you probably got a problem just by the sheer volume of it. Yeah. Um, well, I have two things. One, there's this really popular shoe brand, Adidas, and their logo is a marijuana sign, right? And I see my friends wearing it, but no one really thinks much about it. Mm-hmm. Why do you think of that? 
because it's a good question. They're promoting drug use, but it's through the uh, shoe company. That's a new one on me, by the way. Yeah. And the second one is my school, uh, the kids, they don't really they like to do uh, fake high stuff. So like, when I was in sixth grade, they had, uh, they had sugar and salt, and the kids would sniff that. Then in, uh, later in sixth grade, they had, um, what's it called? It's that, uh, I don't know, it's that water thing that goes inside. Oh, bomb? Uh, something like that. Yeah. And then and now in seventh grade, they mash up Skittles, and they sniff that. But I haven't noticed any changes. You mean changing their behavior? See, what you're in is middle school right now, and we're experimenting. We're pretending. And the more we pretend, the easier it will be eventually to do it. My question to you was, are any of the kids in school using inhalants? This is a middle school problem more than it is a high school problem, where kids are sniffing, huffing, um, chemicals out of cans and stuff like that. Yeah, like those markers and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those little felt-tip markers you just... All these innocent things at home, laying around the house. Correction foods, you know the old white outs? Yeah. Get a good buzz, they tell me, off of that. <laughs> uh, but is that getting common in your school? You in middle school? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the time you get up to the 12th grade, it's pretty much faded out because now we're into other stuff. But um, if you're a parent, you need to talk to your kids. Um, one of the things, in addition to recognizing this, is... You know, we always talk about having that sex talk. We need to have the drug talk. And we need to have it appropriate at the different ages. Um, There's an organization out of Columbia University called CASA. And they do surveys. And... They just came out with one about a year or so ago. They found out that parents who interact and talk to their kids about drugs and explain how they would be very disappointed or hurt if you use drugs, less than 10% of those kids use drugs. Parents who did not have that conversation... It was like 40, 45%. I don't have the exact figures with me. Uh, if you're a parent, you need to have those drug talks. Um, you need to be able to tell your kid, particularly with the alcohol. Anybody familiar with alcohol poisoning? Okay. Your kid thinks it's cool to binge drink and get drunk and wasted and unconscious. It can kill you. 79,000 people died last year of alcohol intoxication. Um, 
you know, that's one of the things that's in this book, is in the early part of the book, because I think it's important. And parents need to sit down and go over that. If you don't want to buy the book, go on the NIDA, National Institutes of Drug Abuse. Go on their website. They have all the drugs broken down. You can have some interesting conversations. NIDA, DA, yeah, just search it. You you have a very interesting, yeah, and National Institutes of Drug Abuse. Um, a lot of material in this book is directly from that site. Um, it's important, folks. It's important that we talk to our kids. They're exposed. You saw how the young man was talking about what the kids are doing. They're mimicking their older brothers and sisters. They're mimicking at middle school. When they get to high school, they're already got the rituals down. All they got to do is do it. And our society is a society that promulgates drug use. If you don't believe it, look at the alcohol ads that are on the TV particularly with the Super Bowl coming up. Just look at them. What are they doing? They're showing that alcohol is fun. It's a message that come across loud and clear. We have, look on the ads on the TV for medication. This is faster. This is quicker pain reliever. Over the counter, you don't need a prescription. Go out and buy this. It's, it's good. How big a jump is it from that mindset to going out and getting some Percocets and getting high? Or Valium? Or crushing up some Ritalin? Yeah. What do you think is the part of motivation of for kids to do this? Two. And every addict will tell me, and, when I, and I've been doing this work for 20 years, every addict, I ask the question, I get the same answer. Why'd you start? Unless it's trauma-related late in life, curiosity and peer pressure. Uh, almost universal. Curiosity and peer pressure. Think about your teenage years. <laughs> Curiosity and peer pressure. You did a whole lot of stuff to, just behind those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring in a kind of a different dynamic sure. of class and race. Um, my wife and myself are both educators here in Baltimore City. She teaches academic discipline of math and science. I teach a social justice theater and filmmaking program right here in the city. And one of the things I think plays into, not just, it's a class issue, uh, middle class, affluent, African-American or white <coughs> drug use as opposed to um, less economically um, solvent white or black um, drug use and also the acceptance of drugs, even in a so-called legitimate sense. We both experienced several children from pre-K to middle school 
um, who say that they aren't having a good day, that they have to go to the nurse and get their medication for supposed um, mental um, behavioral issues, um, whether it's for ADHD or other supplications. Mm -hmm. I've just seen over the years, over 15 years of involvement, seeing that children are beginning to believe that they need drugs to behave acceptably and with this overall um, of just self-medicating. I know that you said curiosity and peer pressure, but I've experienced a little bit of a different dynamic. I wonder if you could comment on it. Sure. Of just cultural, generational self-medicating. Okay. Being, um, coming down to the child whether they're African-American or white or Latino or Asian, the, the dynamic of generational poverty and disenfranchisement play, um, to me, comes into play. Okay. Um, so, from a social construct per perspective, um, it's been my experience and what I've seen is that you're on target, but we've got to remember that when we start mixing in poverty, economic deprivation, there are more drugs and druggy kids in the suburbs than there are in the inner city. Um, that's the statistics I've seen. Um, it, you no, can't. I agree with that. I'm glad that you stated that. But the preponderance of the perpetuation of the myth through the media is that all children of color and poor white children, Latino children, African-American children, poor white children are the largest majority of young people and adults mm -hmm. are addicted or using illegal drugs. And I'm glad you shared that. Just like the biggest consumers of gangster violent hip-hop are young suburban white youth and mm -hmm. Western white youth. And they say that, the, I, I saw something on TV the other day, they say that the rap, music would never have gotten to the popularity it has if it wasn't bought and purchased by a predominantly white population. You know. Um, one of the things that fr has frustrated me over the years, and I worked the streets for nine years here in Baltimore, is the fact that we don't do justice to the people who have mental health disorders, 50% of our addictive population has a mental health disorder that's diagnosable. That's what I do. I work with dual diagnosis, mental health plus addictions. Um, but we tend to ignore it. We stigmatize, we stigmatize the addict, we stigmatize the mental health person. So here I got a client he got two stigmas going against him already. And most of my clients are HIV, so we got three stigmas going against us, you know. And, you know, it's rough. It's rough. And the media doesn't help. The media doesn't help because it perpetuates it. We saw that in the elections, you know, and all that junk that was going on on the TV and, you know, this subtle racism and everything else, and the white commentators are like, huh, what you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's a different world. It's a different world. Um, 
Just a little addition to this. How much time I got? A little addition to this. Um, causes of addiction. You might be interested in that. Genetic predisposition. Been a lot of studies out that have shown that it runs in families, genetic. Um, they haven't come up with any conclusive study because every time they come up with something, then somebody slides another study in that <laughs> sort of like puts a wrinkle in because we got heredity environment. It's kind of hard to mix, twist the two up. But one thing's for sure. If you got one or two addicts in your family, you probably got a whole line of addicts in your family. You know, it's just that way. And you see some families and nobody's addict. Um, that's one. Another one is social pressure. Society pressure. Instant gratification society. We are a society of instant gratification. What do drugs do? Drugs work instantly to gratify your pleasure um so there's nothing wrong with that and we sort of covered that um another one is basically um peer pressure things like that you know i'm trying to get in with the right crowd um actually it's the right crowd if the right crowd has rejected you which is often where the addicts end up or the youth end up in the addiction crowd. Because the druggy crew, they're going to take you no matter, as long as you want to use drugs with me, you're cool. But if you're slow mentally, you're going to have a hard time getting hooked up with the right crowd. If you're ugly, you're going to have a hard time getting hooked up with the right crowd. But you can always get hooked up with that druggy crowd. They always welcome one more person. Yeah, what you what you do? <laughs> you know, you in. Um, things like that. You know, nobody sets out to be an addict. Their their things propel them. Uh, family, you know, family situations, psychosocial stressors that kids grow up in. Uh, there isn't a kid that doesn't go through youth and adolescence and not get traumatized. Trauma of losing somebody. Sickness taking over the family. Having to move all of a sudden. These are traumas for kids. Uh, Then there's the abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. Most of my, I've never studied or did anything on my own survey, but over the years I probably should have. But majority of my clients who are addicts are also victims of abuse. I have more PTSD clients in my caseload than I have anything else outside of depression. And most of the trauma stems back from what happened to them in childhood. Yeah, that's what they've been doing. So when we clean them up, get them off of the drugs, all this trauma come to the surface. And we got our hands full 
keeping them from going back out to master pain that suddenly come up and get them to start getting engaged in treatment, you know, so we can do the mental health piece. But you can't do the mental health piece till you get them clean and sober. Once you get them clean and sober, the trauma comes up. It, it, it's rough. Yeah, man. Okay. Um, first off, let me plug the book. There's a whole section, <laughs> chapter devoted to how to treat. Uh, the matter of fact, the whole third section is how to deal with a kid in the home. You know, treatment, getting them treatment, how to determine the right treatment program, etc. It'd be well, good read for you. Um, there is no silver bullet. There is no one solution. I have a favorite of mine because I lucked up and got into a family treatment program, which meant the kid was in the program, but so was my wife and I. And we had to sit there two nights a week in in wraps for a couple hours learning about what addiction was learning about codependency and the danger of enabling and things like that. I think our kids are doing well today because we were trained. And you can take a kid and put him in a treatment program, and if the parents aren't schooled somewhere, okay, if the kid is out of state, parents need to be going to al they need to check that out a couple times a week. Al-Anon was my salvation because you get the support that you need, plus you get the education. If you start talking that enabling codependency stuff, they're going to get you <laughs> in a very nice, supportive way, but you're going to be confronted. And that's what a lot of us parents need. I'm not sure if I answered your question, because... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this is um, her thoughts are on my book. This is like, how, what is her? This is a what attempt? This is her 10th attempt to be playing. She's only 22. Okay. Um, you probably, please get the book because there is a third section. Family intervention is important. But it needs to be a unified intervention. Everybody needs to be on the same page. If grandma is going to leave the door open, it's not going to work. If the aunt down the road is going to take me in when everything gets tight, it's not going to work. Everybody got to be together. One of the, There's a whole section in here on natural and logical consequences. We learn through consequences. 
And if the kid doesn't experience consequences, they're not going to learn. Except that I can get away with. That's the lesson they're learning. Um, quick story, and then I'm going to shut this down. Um, I do therapy, and this woman comes in. I can't take it no more. I, I did better when I was high than now that I'm clean and sober. I can't deal with these kids. I said, what's going on? She said, I come home from work, kitchen sink dirty. They expect me to clean the sink up, clean the kitchen up, and then cook dinner and then wash the dishes. I said, how old are your kids? They're either preteen or teenagers. I'm like, here's what I want you to do. We're going to have a grand experiment. You have a family meeting tonight, and you tell them next time you come home and the kitchen sink is a mess, you're not cooking. You're not cleaning it up. You're getting back in your car and going over Red Lobster and enjoy yourself. I saw her two weeks later. I said, how'd it go? She said, I went to Red Lobster three times the first week. Ain't been back since they got the message. <laughs> Consequences are strong, powerful teachers. And the family has to be on the same page. Does, does, does that sort of answer in a vague way? Okay, anybody got anything else? Because I understand we have to be out of here in about 15 minutes. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll be up here signing books. I thank you for your attention. And we got some snacks left back there. So if anybody feels like some finger food because you were rushing to get here and didn't quite have a time to digest your food right, it's there. Okay, thank you. Yeah.